If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, laughing at me for some reason over here in the Vivid Seat Studio, is my co-host, Charlie. So, Charlie, you made it back from your annual sojourn to Jacksonville. Did you enjoy it this year? I did enjoy it. Did you? Came home with a W, so that's all. So that's all that matters. But everything else was good because I know Jacksonville is not your favorite. Well, it didn't rain, so at least there's that. It was cold on Friday, windy. Uh, but it wasn't cold. It was just windy. It's windy. No landing. Were you okay with that? Well, I mean, the landing is not the greatest place on earth. The landing was trash, but at least it had sports bars. Had something. Let's not call it trashy. That's not nice. There are now no options for eating or drinking anywhere. That's the problem. In downtown Jacksonville, right? In downtown Like, within walking distance of the stadium. There's if, like If you don't want to tailgate outside all day and clean up, pack up, all yeah, that I'm kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm too lazy for that. Right. So, I know you're big into the sports bar scene. At least Lanning had that. So, I was worried about you. I didn't know if you are going to survive. You know. He it, it, does, it, it did kind of suck. I'm not going to lie. There's truly... Like, downtown Jacksonville is like a ghost town. There's nothing there. It's, it's not great for fans who want to actually be there and watch football games all day and not necessarily just get drunk out of their minds and, and whatnot. But still, we won. You're right. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. But uh, all right, we touched on a couple of the mailbag questions in our recap show earlier in the week, but we have a ton more to get to here in our week. This is week 11, right, Charlie? Week 11? Oh, my God. goes by way too fast. Week 11 mailbag show. We've got the, uh, some stuff about the Florida game still to talk about, some big picture stuff, even a question or two about this week's game against Missouri. So I do want to go ahead and get right into that. Uh, before I get there, I do quickly want to remind everyone that if you enjoy our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you would rate and review the show on your platform of choice if you get a second or two. And I also want to remind you that you can follow the podcast, which is basically me tweeting. And I'm only putting this out there because we've had a couple questions about this uh, the past couple of days. So uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow me basically at glory underscore UGA. And you can follow Charlie at classic Charlie 3. Is that right, Charlie? Yes. Where you make fun of your picks every weekend. I do. You kind of panic when things aren't going your way. Actually, I I don't want to spoil it. We're going to save this for the end of the week, but Charlie had a great week in our picks of the week. We're going to save how great of a week it was until this week's show. But check in, tune into that, and you'll find out just how great Charlie did this week. It was kind of ridiculous how well she did. I'm kind of angry that she accomplished this certain feat that Mm -hmm. I did not accomplish yet. So did I beat you? uh, You actually, well, in in one of the the sets of picks you did. Yes. But, but congratulations. We'll get to that later on this week. But anyway, a lot of questions get to Charlie, go ahead, take it away from here. All right. First up week 11, Zach asks, well, he's, made a comment and then we'll get your thoughts so he said i thought coley called a great game especially the play in the third where we put james cook in motion but instead of throwing to him we set up an underneath screen to swift on the opposite side for a big game then a few plays later we ran a toss sweep 
What are your thoughts? Man, uh, yeah, Zach, I'm totally with you. We talked about this a little bit on the recap show, but I have more thoughts that I didn't get to throw in there on the recap show. Really going back and watching more of the game for the third time today. Probably you have a fourth. lot of thoughts. Yeah, I do, and I try you not to go too long. have a lot of thoughts. Long. Yes. This podcast could be three days long. Yes. Actually, it could just be ongoing forever, infinity, and you wow. would still have thoughts on Georgia football. So just for the listeners I would love to there, do that. I don't know if I... Physically, could there's do a lot that. edited out because otherwise we would be taking up your entire work day. Right, right. What well, I mean, sure they would. So I'm sorry. About that. Continue. Anyway, yes. Yeah, sorry, Charlie just interrupted me. Uh, but yeah, so I went back and watched some more of the game today. I'll probably do it again tomorrow, maybe the next day because can't get enough of that kind of game. So I have some things I didn't really mention in the in the recap show that I think are pertinent to this question. And Zach, you're on it, man. I'm with you here completely. One of the things that I really was impressed with and I'm really excited about moving forward. I hope it's more of like a philosophical like this is my concern. Is it is it really like what we saw on Saturday? Is that signs of a true philosophical shift or is it maybe just a one isolated game plan where we felt like we could exploit some things that Florida does defensively? I don't know the answer to that yet. I'm excited about the possibilities that we could continue this and this is like a truly a philosophical shift. I just I don't know yet. But there's some things I saw us do philosophically that we haven't done as much of really all year long. One thing in particular is that we actually had our receivers and our running backs, our pass catchers, if you will, run away from coverage. And what I mean by that is don't just run vertically down the field and rely on either throwing over the top or back shoulder. Try to create, because you don't create separation that way. There's very, like what we were asking Jake Fromm to do most of the year coming into Florida, into this game in Jacksonville, particularly in South Carolina, we were talking about how receivers just couldn't get separation. I I think there's maybe some merit to the receivers not being able to get separation. I, I think it was a lot overblown. But I think part of the issue was just simply the fact that we were calling plays and calling routes that, that made it very difficult for the receivers to get separation against a good group of cornerbacks there that South Carolina had. And I think we saw a very similar situation going into this game against Florida. So instead of basically forcing them to run vertical routes and, and Jay, forcing Jake to kind of fit balls into tight windows, the back shoulder fade or over the top on the vertical route, whatever it is, we actually allowed our receivers to gain separation by running away from coverage using more of the field. We also used our running backs, which I have kind of been calling for all year, especially when you can isolate them on, I don't say unathletic, but, but linebackers who are not nearly as athletic as the running backs that we have that can keep up with them in space. You get them isoed one-on-one, and we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, Harian, for example, in this game, had he had five targets coming into Saturday's game all year long. Had been targeted five times in the passing game. But against Florida, he caught four passes for 46 yards. You throw in the screen pass to Swift that Zach talked about, which was a beautiful design play. And we've been screaming for that, for first to do something different off that jet motion action with James Cook. We set the screen there. So you factor in uh, Swift and Heron. They combined for five catches for 70 yards from the running back position, which is a major, major advantage we can have against some of these teams, especially when they, when they when you factor in how they play us defensively. Especially when we, you, I know we got Cager back, which was obviously massive, but we've, we have some young, inexperienced wide receivers. It just makes sense to get your running backs involved in the passing game if they're that adept at, at running routes out there in space. So I really like that. That's one of the things I really hope is more of a philosophical change, not just like a one-game isolated situation where we're just kind of game planning for floor specifically. I thought we attacked more of the field, whether it was the outside, the middle of the field, uh, uh, vertically, uh, horizontal. I thought we did a lot of different things. We also use play action effectively, which is something I noticed a little bit, you know, watching live, but going back and rewatching again today, 
it really stuck out to me on this third watch how effectively used play action. I, I broke it down a little bit on that big 52-yard touchdown pass to Cager uh, where play action really made that play happen. But there were a number of other plays in the game. The touchdown pass to Dominic Blaylock, for instance. Uh, play action, I don't say it was... The, the only thing that made that play possible, but it certainly was a key component in that touchdown, that, that first touchdown there to put us up 10 nothing. So a number of different times where play action was really effective. And Fromm, has, he's like pretty consistently been effective off play action. So I'd like to see us do more of that philosophically. Uh, we also started to run the ball out of four wide receiver sets a couple times. Didn't do it a ton, but at least seeing that once or twice... For me to see that our coaching staff, James Coley, realizes, wait a minute, we can still run the ball effectively when we have four wide receivers. We don't have to have a tight end in the game to run the ball effectively because what that does is that it basically takes defenders out of the box. It clears that out. And when I've said all year long, when our offensive line has even just just even numbers in the box, we will win that 90 plus percent of the time. But when we're outnumbered by one or two guys in the box, it doesn't matter how good our line is. When we stack all those bodies in the box, if you spread them out with four wide receivers, then it, it, and I, I know you can spread out with, with three wide receivers and a tight end, but you put four wideouts out there, that's an extra, I think that's more of a credible pass threat than having Charlie Warner out there, or maybe even Eli Wolf, to a lesser degree Eli Wolf, but Certainly Charlie Warner. I think he has six catches for 35 yards on the year now. So I think by doing that, we clear out the box, and I think we can make our run game more effective. So I was really excited about a lot of things that I saw from us offensively, things that we have not really done all year. We've done it at times here and there, but certainly in no consistent manner throughout the year. So, yeah, very excited, Zach. I'm with you on that one. All right. Cliff has a couple of questions about Jake Fromm's performance against the Gators. First, the book on beating UGA has been to make Fromm throw it 30 times and the dogs lose. How did UGA pull this off considering this is the first time that's not been the case in Fromm's career? What adjustments allowed this to happen? Yeah, great call, Cliff. I think there's been a lot made of that throughout Fromm's career. So I think this is the, the sixth time that he's thrown over 30 times in a game. So the sixth time's the charm, I guess, because this was the first time that Jake has thrown over 30 passes and we actually won a football game. And it's, it's a really good question, Cliff. It really is, my man. Cliff's always on this. Um, because we did do some things differently that allowed this to happen where we actually win a game when Jake Fromm throws the ball 30 times. He do it exactly 30 times, but still, that's 30 times. Um, and I think the biggest answer here is that in the past, when you go back and look at those, those first five games where Jake threw the ball over 30 times, in most of those games, we threw the ball more than 30 times because we had to. Not because we chose to, because we wanted to. Like that was part of the game plan coming in. I think maybe to some degree that was more the game plan coming in, coming in against Alabama, the SEC, SEC title game last year. We had a lot of success early in that game, and he was dropping dimes in that game. And then of course he made some adjustments and didn't work out so well in the fourth quarter. Obviously, we all know that. But coming into this game, I think the big difference was that we threw it 30 times because we wanted to, not because Florida was making us do that. We threw it 30 times because we knew what they were going to do, and we had come in with a game plan that was going to attack how we expect the Florida to, to come after us. And like we faced Todd Grantham enough. We, we understand what he's trying to do. And we knew exactly what they were going to try to, try to do to defend our offense. And we kind of had this game plan that we were going to attack it by putting the ball in the air. So I think it was more about us. Like we, 
wanted to do this and we weren't forced into it. Like, no one was forcing us out of our game plan. It was kind of playing into our game plan. So to me, that was the biggest reason. I also like some of the, the routes that we were allowing Jake to hit. So giving him some more easy throws, underneath throws, uh, allowing the, the running backs. Like I've been calling this for this again, the option routes there off the linebackers. And then of course, you know, using play action to get some shots vertically down the field. Uh, we have, because again, we can, we need to use play action far more effectively than we do because with our ability to run the football teams, they attack it so aggressively when we show any sort of run action and we can, we can absolutely make teams pay if we just do it a little bit more consistently. All right. Cliff also asks, where does this performance rank for Jake Fromm? An argument could be made it's his best, but what's your take? Yeah, I think you really could. And I, I, I was actually thinking the same idea right after the game, Cliff. I was going through my mind as I was walking back from the stadium to the hotel, like, hmm, okay, where does this rank? Was this Jake's best game? And my immediate reaction was like, yeah, like I don't know if Jake's ever played a better game than this. But I mentioned earlier in the year, I thought Tennessee this year in Knoxville, like statistically, that was a little bit of a better game than this game in Jacksonville. He completed 83% of his passes for 288 yards. Missouri, when he was a true freshman, when Missouri was here in Athens, that was like statistically his best game. Uh, it was like about 70% completion, 300 plus something yards. But I think if you factor in the moment in this game, and all the criticism, the heat he's been taking, our offense has been taking over the past couple weeks, the beating they've been taking, and then you also factor in the stakes involved in this game. I think you absolutely could, and I will argue that this was Jake Fromm's finest moment. Maybe not from a statistical standpoint, although it was certainly up there. About 67% completion percentage, 280-ish yards essentially, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, really only one underthrow in that pass to D-Rob. But uh, I thought he played outstanding. Uh, he was so clutch down the stretch. I, can't, I still just cannot get over. Number one, James Cole and Kirby Smart having the faith in Jake Fromm to put the ball in the air on that third down that sealed the deal on that pass, that completion to Eli Wolf. And then Jake's ability to not even be able to step into that throw. He could not step into the throw. Because, and Swift did a great job picking up the blitz there. But the guy, I think it was Ventrell Miller, was at Fromm's feet. Fromm could not step into it. He's throwing from the far hash, throwing an out route to the far hash. Could not step into it. Oh, Jake Fromm has no arm, right? Right, Charlie? No arm. No, no arm. Can't you know He's got a noodle arm, right? But he gets the ball there, puts it on the money. Money, clutch moment. I mean, just so gutsy, so gutsy. So I think if you factor in, yeah, the moment, the stakes, everything he's been he's been facing, the adversity the past couple weeks. I think I'm going to argue. I'm with you, Clifford. This was this was Jake's, Jake Fromm's finest moment in the red and black. All right, sticking with Jake Fromm for one more question. Jamie says, "I'm going to make a bold prediction. I think Jake Fromm stays for his senior year." Tyler, what's your opinion? Please, dear baby Jesus, make that happen. Please, please, please. Oh my God, I uh, I would be in. I would just, I would, I would, uh, I would be so happy. That's all I can say. I, I don't know uh, if I, I don't know. I think, I think after the South Carolina game, the Kentucky game, I think there were more and more people believing that because his stock has started to drop. But I never lost faith in Jake Fromm. I still thought Jake Fromm was the same guy who was getting all the love as a potential first round draft pick all along. Uh, I don't know. Jake Fromm is a different kind of guy. Uh, I don't think his, fa- I know his family is not like in need of money. So I don't think that's a factor. And he loves his team. He loves his guys. He loves the University of Georgia. So I certainly would not be shocked. I just don't know. Like if you're, it depends on what he gets on the information he gets back from the NFL Draft Advisory Board. Who knows what it's going to say? I mean, if you get a first round draft grade, that's hard to turn it down. Uh, but you got to look at him. Mean, he's going to have to look at, okay, who are the guys coming out this year? Who are the guys coming out next year? Because two is going to come out this year, right? So two is going to be, you know, on every, like, the Dolphins are tanking for Tua, right? I know you pay so much attention to the, to the NFL. I hate you have the no NFL. idea what I'm talking about no. right now. You I know, hate the NFL. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, you're looking at me like this, like, but what are you looking at your face? Like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but Tua, then you've got Justin Herbert, who, I mean, I don't know. I'd take Jake from Justin Herbert. 
10 times over and over again. Um, but, but if he stays this year, then you got Trevor Lawrence coming out next year. Maybe Justin Fields comes out next year. Who knows? Like, it's either way, uh, there's going to be a big time competition. But I think Jake's going to make the best decision for himself and do what his heart tells him. And I don't know. I can't get inside his head. But Jamie, I, I'm. I'm I'm not discounting what you're saying. I think it's a real possibility, more so a possibility than I thought in the in the preseason, which I, I I was just kind of assuming that Jake was gone. But I think there's a chance he comes back. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But um, I think there's a chance, more of a chance than I thought a couple months ago. Okay. Next up, Emery Dave says not much passing in the middle. Why was that? Okay. Well, I think Emery Dave. I appreciate the question, Emery Dave. First off, thank you. Really appreciate it, man. Um, I I think. That was true most of all the season coming into the Florida game. However, I, I would slightly disagree if we're looking at just this one Florida game in isolation. I thought that we threw the ball in the middle of the field a lot more than we have now, not exclusively, and we still took some shots to the outside. I mean, and you got to attack all parts of the field. You can't just like us taking us attacking the outside of the field exclusively, almost exclusively. That was a problem. But if we only attack the middle of the field exclusively, that's a problem too. We got to attack all parts of the field to keep the defense off balance. I thought we attacked the middle a lot more in this game. We, we ran a lot of vertical routes to clear out room for underneath crossing routes. We ran some dig routes in the middle. We ran some option routes in the middle. Uh, we hit Charlie Warner over the middle on a little, on a little kind of like a skinny post there. So I thought we did more of that. Now, I, if you want to see more of more of that, then I'm totally down with that. But I thought that we took steps in the right direction and tried to attack the middle of the field more than we have at any other point previously in this season. And before we get to our next question, I do want to take a quick second to remind everyone about Vivid Seats. If you're still looking for tickets to this week's matchup against Missouri, be a fun time in Athens at night under the lights. You have all the LED lights going. If you haven't checked those out, you got to get in that stadium. Or if even if you're looking for tickets for next week's game on the Plains against Auburn, go to Vivid Seats today. They have the best selections and the best prices that you guys will find anywhere. And they're also now offering a Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app, and you will be automatically enrolled in their Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, so you can feel completely safe with every single purchase you make. And so when it's time to buy, new users just enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Alright. G says, either Florida's defensive line was overhyped or our offensive line is elite and played to its potential. What do you think? I don't think the Florida pass rushers are overrated. When you say defensive line, like I told you guys on the preview show, I didn't think that their interior defensive line was very good at all. And I thought that we would be able to run the football on them. And if it was just them in the box, then we could have handled them just fine. But they were trying out numbers. They were playing the tight front where they were uh, basically – and when we, were, we went over that in the, in the recap show, so I don't want to go in too far in detail again there. But basically what they were doing is, is playing that tight front so they could free up an inside linebacker where he was unblocked and he was just kind of running around making plays, which we've seen before. And then we started to run on, on the edges. That's what the tight fronts are kind of vulnerable to edge attacks. And we started to attack the edge more so late in the game and had some more success there. But – what makes that Florida defensive line dangerous are their pass rushers, Grenard and Zanaga in particular. And those guys are good. I'm not going to say that they are overrated. Those guys are very good. Now, both of them are coming off injuries. Maybe they were still slightly injured. I don't know. Maybe they weren't 100%. Maybe their conditioning wasn't completely there. Because, you know, when you have ankle injuries and, and lower extremity injuries, as Kirby would say, it's, it's tough to do conditioning. You can do a little bit on the bike, but you can't really simulate what you're doing in a game. But I think our guys are just better. I think our offensive line played their best game, bar none, all season long. This is the offensive line that we thought we would see all year long, and they responded in a massive way 
in a huge moment. Absolutely uh, unbelievable performance by all those guys up front, the running backs as well, and pass protection, the, the tight ends, all those guys did a great job keeping Jake Fromm healthy, keeping him up. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't think Florida's defensive line was necessarily over height. I think our offensive line just finally played as well as they could. All right, next up, Jonathan says, was this the closest to an A game we have seen from Georgia this year? And if that was the best we have, do you think it's realistic to think we can go head-to-head with the top programs like Bama, LSU, and Ohio State if they play their A game? Or do you think they would have to at least play a B game for us to win with our A game? Yeah, it's a fantastic question, Jonathan. And this is this is kind of how my mind works. So you and I are on the same page here, dude. A uh, couple, couple things here. If that, I will say, if that was our A game, we would not be winning a national championship this year. And we might not be, we probably won't be able to get in the college football playoff if that was our A game. However, I don't think that, I think that was the closest that we played to our A game. I will say that. It's the closest we played for a full game to our A game, or to our potential, I guess. But I still don't think that was our true fastball, our A game. I think it's the closest we've gotten for a full game. Like, and I, I would say like the, um, the second half of Notre Dame, we were really, really good in that game. The second half of Tennessee, we were really, really good in that game. But for a full game, this is as closest as we've gotten to, to putting that best foot forward, that fastball, that A-game, whatever you want to call it. But I, I still think we have more in the tank. I think there's more that this team can do. We are still, I know it's eight games in the year now, and, and, and we're getting to crunch time, so we, we better start. It's tough to still say that we're a work in progress, but we kind of are. But this is, I said this after the South Carolina game, a hallmark of Kirby Smart teams for the first couple years, even going back to 2016, is that we improve pretty dramatically as the season goes on. And I think we're starting to see that now. Now, we'll see if that carries on. We can't predict the future the rest of this way. But if you look back at recent history with Kirby Smart and look at what we were able to do after that bye week after South Carolina going to Kentucky and then now with Florida, hopefully we carry that forward against Missouri, Auburn, AM, Tech, the rest of the way. We've got time to continue to improve. And we're starting to see some more guys emerge. So I, I think it's certainly possible and I, I would say that we do have more than the tank. Now, whether we're gonna, how, how close we're going to get to playing to that full potential, I don't know. I cannot predict that. But I think we're getting closer and closer to that. We are improving, and hopefully I think we are in line to maybe, possibly peak at the right time. That's what you want. You want your team to peak at championship time. I think we're getting closer and closer to that. So, no, I, I don't think that was our A game. And if that was, our, like I said a second, if that was our A game, I don't think we're going to beat the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States of the world. But I, I, I just have a sneaking suspicion that, that we have more in the tank than we're getting closer to kind of breaking through there. We have another question from Cliff. He says, winning the game was critical, but did you see anything that gives you more confidence that this team has the ability to win it all? The passing game improved by leaps and bounds, certainly far from a finished product, but much better, especially from a play calling and route perspective. Yeah, Cliff, another a great question here. This kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what Jonathan was asking. That's why we kind of include these questions together. But there were things, like, I'm not ready to say this is a national championship team. Like I said, just second ago with Jonathan's question, if that's the best we have, I don't think we're going to win a national championship this year, but I think we do have more. Uh, but there were some things that did give me more confidence that this team still has a chance if we can just get a little bit better at a couple different things, in a couple different spots as the season goes on. We're close. But we have a chance to still potentially win it all. I'm not going to call us the favorite. I'm not saying that. But it's not completely out of the question. We have a, a lot of football left to be played. A tough road to hoe. There's no doubt about it. I know everyone's all excited about this Florida win. And I am too, guys. But I'll tell you right now, I'm going to answer some questions about that game. My attention right now is fully turned towards Missouri. That team is good. And they have the potential to beat us if we are not ready to play. We don't get our mind right. So uh, a long way to go. But we still, I think we have a chance now. And yeah, you're right about the passing. That's certainly improved. 
But if there's one thing that continues to give me confidence that this team at least has an outside shot to get in college football playoff and maybe even, who knows, a, a national title this year, it's that defense. It's the top five caliber defense. As I told you guys, I thought it would be at the beginning of the year. It's kind of playing out that way. And I said on the recap show that the one one or two concerns I still have with the defense are, number one, are we creating enough turnovers? We gotta do, I, do, I still think we need to do a better job of that. And are we creating enough havoc? But if you go back and look at Pro Football Focus's grades, and again, guys, I know I keep saying this every time I bring up Pro Football Focus, but these numbers are out there. I don't know exactly how they're computing these numbers, so the transparency, I, I, I can't fully back them. But they have their system. I know they put a lot of time into this, so we're going to throw it out there. According to Pro Football Focus, our defense is currently ranked number one in the SEC in pass, rush, win percentage, and pressure percentage. So while we might not have the sack number totals, we are still doing a really good job of affecting the quarterback, winning those one-on-one matchups when we have opportunities, and at least pressuring the quarterback. Now, what Pro Football Focus defines as pressure, I don't know. You have to ask them. But uh, those numbers certainly speak highly to what our defense has been able to do this year. In our passing game, it, it showed on Saturday that we can have life against a very good secondary. Now, I think Florida's secondary is a little bit overrated compared to what the national perception of, of their secondary is, but they're still very good. And we had a lot of success throwing the football all over the field against a very good secondary. So if you got if you can combine our running game, our our uh, offensive line, which I'm still very big on. If you are strong in the trenches, you will always have a chance. And we are very strong up front on the offensive line, and we are a lot stronger than people want to give us credit for along the defensive line. So you factor in the trenches, the, the defense as a whole, the passing game now showing they could have some success against a very good secondary. All those things give me more confidence heading into this stretch run. Okay. Patrick asks, what's going on with Charlie Warner? Sure, we're a running team, and there are only so many touches to go around, but six catches for 35 yards? Thankfully, Kirby called in the Wolf. Yeah, the Wolf, Eli Wolf. That was a huge pickup. I mean, I know Cager was a massive pickup, but Wolf has been a big pickup as well. And not even that he's been that much of an impact in the past game, all that, that catch against Florida was a huge reception, obviously, sealing that game. But we just had no depth behind Charlie Warren. I mean, you had Fitzpatrick, but he's still a really young guy. Still has, to, still has to fill out his frame a little bit. So getting Wolf in there with his experience, his ability to go out there and catch the football in the passing game, that was huge. And Charlie, and I'm going to ask you, Charlie, about your boy Charlie. I know Charlie Warner has been a, a, a favorite of yours for a while. What's, what's going on? He has not developed as I would have hoped. No, uh, he he's has not. He's been surpassed. Has he been? Well, he's still on the. He plays a ton. He's just not. He's not the passing threat that we right. thought he would be. Right. Exactly. And I guess that's kind of the the role that Eli Wolf has taken and they on. Called up Eli Wolf on Saturday and not. And Charlie called Warner. his number. Hey, Charlie had two yeah. catches. He had two hey, of his six did. catches. He did. Um, I think he had, I think he might have had twenty something years. I don't know. I know he had two catches. One of them was a pretty big. It was a third down conversion. I want to say. Uh, I, I honestly I don't know the answer to this question. Charlie and I were both talking about Charlie Warner before the season, and, we, and that we were expecting him to have a big year at least a, a bigger than he's had to this point. And that has not happened, and it's probably not going to happen this year. We've, we've kind of seen who Charlie Warner is. And I am somewhat surprised. I mean, I, I watched this guy when he was in high school coming up the 7-on-7 camp here when he was at Raven County, and uh, he was a man amongst boys out there. And he was always an athletic guy, kind of a jumbo wide receiver with them. And I, so I've seen him go up and make plays in the passing. I know 7-on-7 seven seven is very different than an SEC football game. Don't get me wrong, but I saw the athleticism, the potential there. But for whatever reason, just hasn't really translated onto the field with him being a true passing threat for our offense. Um, I, I thought he could end up being one of those matchup t- problem type tight ends, and it just hasn't really turned out that way. He works his tail off. He's been a really good leader for our program. He, you know, he has had some times he gets whipped in the blocking game, but I think he's certainly improved there, and he's become a really good player for us. Not 
the 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 matchup threat that we all thought he would, or at least I was hoping he would be. But um, he, he's still been a valuable piece for this team, and he sees the field a lot in that blocking role as a tight end. But yeah, I, I really can't make much sense of him because I think he's more athletic than he lets on with, with a six catcher for 35 yards. I think he has more potential as a pass catcher. I just can't quite figure it out. Maybe it's because he's not a natural tight end. I don't know because he didn't really play tight end much in high school. He played receiver a little bit, running back, safety, linebacker. He played all over the field. But now, I mean, he's been in the system for four years. You would think that he would have figured this out by now. And he has to a degree. Just, again, hasn't, I can't quite put my finger on why he hasn't become more of a pass threat. Okay. The next three listeners, Josh, Alex, and Alexander, are all wondering about Landers. So I'm going to kind of group these Matt together. Matt Landers, that is? Yes. Okay. So I'm guessing it's not like praise. They're not praising Matt Landers. Exactly. Okay. So Josh says he has talent, the skill, and the size, but just seems to not want to use it. Alex says Matt Landers just doesn't seem like he has the desire. There, has been, there have been multiple times this year where a ball appeared to be within, within his reach and he just doesn't make an effort to lay out to try to make the play. Alexander says he hates to rag on college kids, but he's the worst wide receiver he can remember. Ouch. Yeah. Worse than Tyler Simmons? Are we going there? Uh, ja- well, this he's is the one that usually gets. He's the one, yeah. yeah. Says that Jake threw a dime and Landers didn't lay out for it and then he got the hold on the swift touchdown run. Hard to believe he's the best we can do at wide receiver. What about Jackson? Will we see Bush this season? Tyler, what's your take? All fair points. Um, guys, I'm as fresh with Matt Laners as, as anyone out there. I I was not happy on that. That should have been touchdown because Coley dialed up a gorgeous play, kind of set that up with three straight runs, gets floored in the base defense because it matched up on a linebacker, essentially, or an outside linebacker, and he just uh, didn't make the play. Should have made the play. That play was there to be made. And, and like, people keep saying he had to lay out. He didn't have to lay out. Just, like, kind of extend your arms a little bit and make a little bit of an effort. And, I, and you're right. That's not the first time. I can't remember who said it. One of the three listeners, thank you all for the questions. Um, somebody said that, you know, it's, you're right. It's not the first time we've seen that. We've seen moments from him before this season where it's almost like he's not even aware the ball's there or he doesn't care. I can't quite figure out. I'm going to give him a bit of the doubt and say that he's just lacking awareness out there because he hasn't played a ton in his career. Maybe it's the inexperience. Even this year, he's gotten more playing time this year, obviously, but not a not a ton of playing time. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's a confidence thing. I, I really don't know the answer. I, I have to feel like it's something in the mental space. I don't know. I can't put it together. I don't want to say it's laziness. Because this guy, like if you watch him block, the guy... He, he fights his tail off blocking. I think that's the reason he was out there as much as he was on Saturday because he earned it. And then Kirby, you know, Kirby's made a big deal of this. Our, our receivers, they earn playing time by how well they block, how aggressive, how willing they are as blockers. And he was out there blocking his tail off. Yeah, I know he got the hold on the uh, on the Swift would-be touchdown run. But, I mean, it, it was probably a hold. I, I've seen plays like that not be called before, but kind of had his arm a little on the outside there, so I get the call, but he was fighting, all right? That wasn't laziness. That was him trying to make a play for his team, and yes, receivers can make plays outside of just catching the football, and especially in our offense, so I think he's earned that right there, so I don't think it's laziness. I think it's inexperience, lack of confidence, uh, things of that nature, and I, I can't speak with any confidence that's the case, I just, but if I'm looking up from the outside in, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing there. And it frustrates me. It frustrates me knowing because this guy, like physically speaking, might be our most gifted athlete at wide receiver. I know Piggins is freakishly athletic. Don't get me wrong, he is. But Piggins is like 6'2". Matt Landers is a legit 6'5 that can run, long arms. This guy can be a major playmaker. But it's just, it's not happening. He's still young. He's still young. So I am not giving up on this guy. 
But it is very frustrating to see a guy with that much talent. He's like, and we need him to step up. Like, it's really great to have Cager back because now we have Cager and Pickens out there and you throw D-Rob in the slot. That's a nice three-headed three monster there. I don't want to say maybe three-headed monster is a little strong at this point, but that's a nice trio for us to work with. And you throw in Dominic Blaylock as well. And Matt Lanners can be a part of that, can be a weapon for us. We need him to step We need as many weapons in the passing game to step up as we possibly can. And I still believe he can do it, but he hasn't done it yet. I know he, I, he's making me sound foolish that keep, as I keep saying I believe in him over and over again because he hasn't really given us any evidence to 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 show that he can do it but just from a physical standpoint the guy is oozing ability he's just got to figure it out he's got to click at some point some guys it just takes longer than others and and it's hard to explain why but it just does uh but he's a guy that has a lot of talent now about some of the other guys Kyrus jackson I really like Kiaris too. He's played a little against Florida, but Landers gives us something that Kiaris doesn't. He gives us the size. Now, Kiaris might be able to go out and make some more plays. You have all the size in the world. If you're not making plays, I get it. You shouldn't be out there on the field. But I think our coaches, I think the reason we keep putting him out here is I think our coaches see in practice the things that I see in him, that this guy can go make plays for us. And it's just, I think at some point, if he just makes a couple of plays, I think he's going to gain confidence and it's all going to start to click for him. I just, I don't know when that's going to be. I hope it's sooner rather than later. Tommy Bush, from my understanding, is essentially out for the year with a sports hernia. Uh, I don't know, no declaration has been made to that uh, to that effect, but I know he's in with sports hernia and he's probably going to be out for the year this year, so I wouldn't expect to see much of him. So I, I don't. Uh, so with that, I don't think we have that many other options outside. So I think we're going to keep seeing Matt Landers, and I think we just need to rally around this guy and just hope to God that maybe it clicks for him. He starts to figure it out because he can, he can be a big-time player for us. I still believe that. And before we move on, I do want to remind you guys about mybookie.ag, where you will find the most competitive lines and the greatest variety of betting options out there on the market today. They've got everything. They've got college football. They've got NFL. They've got soccer. They've got NASCAR. They've got PGA. They've got quarters. They've got halves. They've got spreads, money lines, prop bets. You name it, they've got it. And I've already got my eye on a couple of games this week, looking at their lines, where I think it's just free money. So do like me, go to mybookie.ag, find the games that are catching your eye, and win some money today. And now is the best time to get in on the action. All you have to do is sign up at mybookie.ag and use the promo code OVERTIME. And guys, they're going to 100% match your first deposit. You can't beat that. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Okay. Jamil asks, why do we continue to run the zone read up the middle? Is it blown assignments up front or stubbornness? Okay, so zone read or or inside zone? Uh, what does he say? He says zone. He says zone read. Uh, well, zone read. And sometimes we run the zone read, and sometimes it's inside zone. I think a lot of times it, we make it look like zone read because Jake like carries out the play fake. But I, I think that, and I don't know this. I don't know our playbook. I mean, I well, we all know kind of what we run, but I don't know the actual plays in the playbook. But I I, I have a sneaking suspicion that. W- Jake does not have the option to pull it. on what looks like a zone read. I don't think he has the option to pull it because it makes no sense to me. Because if he had the option to pull it, even though Jake Fromm is not the most dynamic runner in the history of the world, the quarterback position, the amount of times we run that zone read look in the backside and crashes on our running back and Jake does not pull it, what that tells me is that it's a designed uh, handoff there, that Jake is not given the option. And he has pulled a time or two. And I think in those situations, he's like, he's given the option. Like there's certain places where he's given the option and certain times where he's not given the option because it, otherwise it would just make no sense whatsoever. Um, but we do, we do still run that play a lot. We also run in, inside zones, our base run play. Well, 
Inside Zone slash Duo. I went over kind of what the difference between Inside Zone and Duo was a couple weeks ago, so you can go back and check that episode out. I think it was the maybe the Kentucky recap show. Uh, so I don't want to make people listen to that all over again. But they're, they're very similar, just blocked a little bit differently. And the reason that we continue to rush, I think it's, it's it, there's a couple reasons. Number one, especially against a, a, a defense like Florida that has some elite pass rushers, you have to continue to run it to slow down that pass rush. You have to give them something to think about. And I know it looks like the outside runs are, are we're having more success with those outside runs recently, going back to the Kentucky game and also against Florida. But though, if we're only running those plays exclusively, then Florida and whatever demons are playing will key up to stop those runs. So for those plays to be successful, we still have to be willing to run the ball up the middle with the inside zone, with duo, with zone read, whatever play it is. Um, so and I, part of the reason I think we're not having as much success this year, because, and guys, like, I honestly don't hate the inside zone. I know it doesn't look sexy out there, but we've hit a ton of big plays off of those inside zones in recent years. Like, a ton of big-time explosive plays in the run game off those plays. I mean, the, the, the Andre Swift run against Auburn last year, when we kind of sealed it, that was inside zone. We've been able to bust some big ones. So it hasn't happened this year. But to me, it's not so much the play that I have an issue with. It's the sets we run it out of in our past unwillingness to run constraints or counters off of it. When we load the box up with bodies and try to run inside zone, there are, like I keep saying over and over again, I know it's like a broken record here, but it's just the fact. It's what's happening. There are unblocked defenders. There are free runners who are just making plays right at or behind the line of scrimmage. This is what's happening. But when we spread teams out, which we're starting to do more of, and you run inside zone there, and our offensive line has even numbers, we are going to start gashing teams. And it's looking like we're starting to do more of that. So I hope that becomes, again, more of a philosophical change and not just a one or two game kind of isolated game plan type situation. Because if it is, I think the inside zone can come back and be a major uh, player for us down the road with this stretch run. Okay. Joshua asks, who should we go with as the nickel defender going forward? He understands the keep everything in front of you model of defense, but it seems like we get torn up from the slot position. If Campbell comes back, do you think Kirby Smart should play DJ Daniel as the nickel defender? Yeah, thanks for the question, Joshua. I really appreciate it, man. Um, and look, I, I here's another area where I'm just as frustrated as anyone else in the Georgia fan base. I mean, I was f- kind of flipping out over there uh, in Jackson, down there in Jacksonville at that game when they just had continual success over and over again operating out of that slot, whether it was Swain or Pitts, whoever it was, having too much success there. And it wasn't just this isolated game. It's happened all year long. And I, 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 I talked about this a little bit on the recap show, so I don't want to go too much in detail again with it. If you didn't hear that, check out the recap show. We talked about this quite a bit on that show. But I do want to address specifically the, the DJ Daniel and the Nickel Defender. First off, if Tyson Campbell comes back, I don't know. That's a big if right now. With turf toe, that's just a tough injury to come back from. It's just so unreliable. You just don't know how a player is going to react to it. You just don't know. I would love for Tyson Campbell to come back, but I certainly don't think that is a foregone conclusion. But if let's say if Tyson Campbell does come back, I get the idea about putting DJ Daniel in the in the slot as a star defender because he probably is a little bit of a better cover guy than Devon Wilson or Mark Webb right now. But the issue is DJ Daniel is much smaller than those guys. We talked about this a little bit on the recap show. The star defender, it takes a unique body type to play that position. You have to be big enough to support and fill against the run, 
but you also have to be able to cover in space. And it's tough to find guys who can actually do both. It's what made Minka Fitzpatrick so good for Alabama is that he could do both very effectively. He was great against the run. He could come up there and fill it with the best of them, but he was also an elite cover guy out of that slot position that made him an elite player overall and got, got him drafted in the first round. Right now, we have two guys that are really young at that at that position. Mark Webb's not quite as young, but he's still inexperienced. I mean, this guy was a receiver coming out of out of high school, started his career at Georgia as a receiver, then converts to DB. He still learned how to play that position. Devon Wilson is a guy that I'm really high on. You guys know that if you listen to the show in the preseason. I think he's going to be a, a stud for us that position, but he's still learning the position. He's still he's a redshirt freshman guy. He's still really really young. He's done some good things for us. I personally think Devon Wilson is is the guy I would go with over Mark Webb. Personally, I really like Mark Webb. I like him in the money role when we, we bring our dime packages. Basically, what we're doing is we're, we have Mark Webb as the star in our nickel package. He stays in that in that position when we go to our dime package. In the dime package, we bring in the money spot, which is the, it was just the sixth DB, which is Devon Wilson. I would flip those roles. I would have Devon Wilson, the star, so he can be on the field more in those nickel packages and bring Mark Webb in off the bench uh, as the money in the dime package. I think Devon Wilson gives us a little bit more in coverage Right now, I think his hips, he's moving it. He flips his hips a little bit better than this one thing I've noticed with Mark Webb. He's just not, like, he's a he's got some quickness. He's got some speed, but he, his hips are not quite as fluid as what I've seen from Devon Wilson, which when you're going against some of those shiftier slot receivers, that can be the difference in you um, not going to pass down deflecting it or them getting a 15, 20-yard gain. It can absolutely be the difference there. So I, I just don't think DJ Daniel is big enough. I and mean, we saw that story last year with uh, Tyreek McGee. Tyreek's a good player, solid player, love the guy. He plays hard for us. But he was just undersized in that role, and that was one of the issues that we had that we had with with our rush defense last year is that we were not getting as much run support or as effective run support from that star position. We're getting more of that this year. That's one of not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we're having much more success uh, against the run as a defense overall this year. So I think we got to stick with either Mark Webb or Devon Wilson there. They're the guys with the body type to play that position on our roster right now. You could also maybe throw in William Poole. But he's clearly, according to our coaches, he's not anywhere close to those two because he hasn't really seen the field much at all in any sort of significant, meaningful situation whatsoever. It's a tough spot because we've got to figure that out. And I, and I kind of broke down again, like why some of the reasons why that's a difficult spot to play, more difficult than, than corner. You're not able to, you can't get a jam off the guy at the line of scrimmage. We, we started to play outside leverage a little bit in the beginning of the game. Then we, then we they were having so much success with, with the inside passes there. So we started to take away the inside leverage or we started to play with inside leverage to take away that play. And that's and they ended up scoring on that drive to, to bring him within a touchdown, make it 24-17, but we made them much more methodical in that drive and, and wasted a lot of time to where we were able to kind of run the clock out there once we hit the ball back. Okay. Reggie asked, do you think this year's defense is the best all-around UGA defense for this century? Oh, so century. I, I'm not so, I'm not a smart man. Uh, so that's the 2000s, right? We're going to go with that? Yeah. Uh, all right, Reggie, great question, man. And Reggie, you've been on this. I'll give you credit, my friend. Reggie's a long time, a very long time listener, and uh, he's been on this since the beginning of the year. So I think you're right, Reggie. I went back and I tried to think, man, and I, I, I couldn't pull up the numbers from some of those early 2000 defenses with Brian Van Gorder in the 2004, 2003, 2002, all those defenses. And those were some really good defense units with guys like David Pollock, obviously, Sean Jones, Thomas Davis, all those guys. But when you're looking at it statistically, and I know like we can, it can always be a case of recency bias. Of course, it can be, and we're all we're all guilty of that at times, myself included. But if you look at some of the more recent defenses that were really good 
You got 2012, we get it 357 yards a game, 5.18 yards per play. 2017, obviously the, the defense that helped lead us to a national title appearance, gave up 294 yards a game and 4.69 yards per play. Right now, this 2019 Georgia defense is certainly trending in that direction where you can call this potentially the best all-around Georgia defense this century. Because right now we're giving up 268 yards a game, 4.43 yards per play. So I know there's still a couple of games left to play and some big-time matchups left in this season. But we're trending in that direction. I think you can certainly make that argument. And you're right. I like the, I like the phrase all around. because We're doing it up front. Our linebackers are much improved. We've got a very good secondary. And, and we're doing all this without Tyson Campbell most of the year, which is really impressive to me there. So I, I think you can certainly make that argument, Reggie. And going back to what Cliff was asking earlier in the show, I think this is probably the primary reason why I still think like there's an outside chance that we might find our way in the college football playoff. Certainly far from a lock, but at least we have a shot now. We're showing that conversation. The defense is what's giving us that hope. Okay, continuing with the theme of the defensive side of the ball, Dalton asks, was this the best D-line play we've seen under Kirby Smart, and has Malik Herring finally put it all together? On Sunday, he was a man among boys at times. There's no doubt in my mind, Dalton, you're spot on here, my man, that this is the best defensive line that we've seen under Kirby Smart. I still don't know if it's a truly elite (laughs) defensive line. But it is the best that we've had in Kirby Smart, bar none, in my opinion. And you're right about Malik Herring. This is a guy that was in Kirby's doghouse going back to the spring for whatever reason. I'm not privy to what was going on there, but he was pretty clearly in Kirby's doghouse. But he's gotten out of that situation, and he is starting to play like a man possessed. This is a dude that has, I mean, as good as John the Ledbetter was for us, for us last year, I mean, John's in the NFL right now. Malik Herring, I think, has the potential to be better than him because he not only can play style against the run, he also gives us more pass rush than Ledbetter was able to give us. And John was really good. You saw that on Saturday. He almost had a sack there, affected the quarterback. I think he deflected the ball as Travis was trying to bring it back and throw. He was so close to getting that sack there. So he gives us a little bit more of that pass rush while also being stout, being able to set the edge against against the run. So I think he uh, he's starting to put it together. You're exactly right. I think he's going to be a big-time playmaker for us, not just the rest of this year, but also next year as well. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Okay. And finally, 17 questions in, we actually have a question about the Mizzou game. Darren asks, regarding the Missouri spread, minus 14 and a half, is the small number due to our lack of explosion or more about Missouri? They seem like an enigma. Is the night game in Athens going to help out? Also, how will we play after a big emotional win? He's seen it both ways. Okay, first off, let me say I'm very glad that we just got one or two questions here about this Missouri game. Because this is where our attention needs to be focused. I know, I know, I know we're just fans and nothing that we say or do has an impact, right? But I'm superstitious and I want us to turn our attention to Missouri because this team has the ability to upset us. There's no doubt about it. They're coming off the bye week, which freaks me out, man. You guys know how I am about bye weeks. That freaks me out, especially with considering they played so poorly in the game preceding the bye week against Kentucky, they're going to come out with a bad taste in their mouth. I'm really glad this game is at night because I do think that gives us a little bit more of an advantage. We've seen what happens with teams that we should beat at noon, like South Carolina, huh? Yeah, we know how that turned out. 
So I'm I'm very glad that we got at least a question here because I think Missouri is a very good team that we need to respect. I know it didn't look so good the last time out against Kentucky. I know they lost to Vanderbilt a couple weeks ago and they lost to Wyoming earlier in the year. I get all that. This is still a very capable team. They have good players. So looking at Missouri spread, I know 14 and a half, it might seem small uh, on the surface, but this is a good team, especially defensively. Defensively, they have been at or near the top of the SEC in just about every major defensive statistical category there is. Right now, they're number two in total defense in the league, giving up 280 yards a game. They were like number one or two for most of the season before that Kentucky game a couple weeks ago where they let Lynn Bowden just run wild on them. And that's just a... I mean, and they... That's a non-traditional rushing offense, and that, that was tough to stop. We did a good job of that. They didn't do as well stopping Lynn Bowe, and they let him run wild for about 200-ish yards, something crazy like that. So that really kind of skewed their numbers. But when they play traditional rush offenses, they've had a lot of success defending that this year. They're number one in the league right now in passing off and passing defense. They're top five in scoring defense in the league. And guys, there's some good defenses in this league. Missouri is a legitimately good defense. Offensively, they're not quite as dynamic as they have been in the past. But Kelly Bryant, if he's healthy, you know, he went out in, the, in that Kentucky game with a hamstring injury, so I'm sure he's going to do everything possible to play in this game. But if he's healthy, he at least gives them a veteran, a guy that can go out there and make plays. He's got a lot of experience in that quarterback position. He's going to give us a, a little bit of a different threat, being able to run the ball and throw the ball as well. He's, he's been a lot more effective as a passer this year than I think he has at any point in his career. So, yeah, you're right. They are kind of an enigma. They've been up. They've been down. I still can't figure out how in the world they lost to Vanderbilt. Makes no sense whatsoever, but somehow they blew that game. And Vanderbilt did some really weird – I went back and watched that game. Vanderbilt was doing some really weird stuff. They like having like one defensive line on the uh, on the line at times. Just really weird stuff that they had not seen before. I do think the night game in Athens will certainly help us out there. And I'm, I'm curious, just like you are, about the big emotional win, like what that does to this team coming out on Saturday. You're right. I've seen it work both ways. I've seen it motivate teams and help them build momentum. I've also seen it kind of lull them to sleep. When you're starting to kind of feel yourself, you feel really good about yourself, and you don't give your future opponent, your next opponent, as much respect as you should, you don't focus on them as much as you should, then that can be an issue. I want to believe that Kirby Smart is going to have our team ready to play, but there's been games where we have been ready to play, usually once or twice a year. Hopefully, we've already had that once this year with South Carolina. And I, I really like the leadership in our locker room, whether it's Jake Fromm, whether it's Andrew Thomas, DeAndre Swift, all those guys. I, I like those guys and their ability, along with Kirby Smart and company, to get this team focused and get our mentality in the right spot. Because this is a big game. If We like, we absolutely have to win this game. Because guys, right now, Missouri is mathematically still very much in the SEC East race. They have two losses in conference right now. They have both us and Florida left to play this year on their schedule. If they beat us and Florida, they're going to Atlanta. You know coming out of the bye week, we are going to 1,000% get their best shot. I have zero doubt about that. They want this. So we are going to have to be ready to play, and Kirby Smart's going to have to do a heck of a job this week to get this team focused and motivated and ready to play against Missouri because we're going to get everything they got, and we got to give them what we got too. Finally, with the victory over Florida, the Dogs are now in first place in the SEC East with an appearance in Atlanta in sight. There is still a lot of football left to play, but Justin wants to know, do you think UGA would match up better against LSU or Bama right now, and who should we root for this weekend? Oh, man. Okay, so, Justin, I, I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for the question. Can I, I just say... I'm really annoyed that this is a 3.30 game and we play at 7. Well, it's because we got the primetime game against Notre Dame. I would rather play at noon. I know you would. And I, I probably, well, 
I want this game. Normally, I would say yes. I want this game to be a night game so we can win this game. We need this game. I think that will help with the home field advantage. But yes, I would like to be able to watch all the Alabama LSU game. That would be really nice. Or how about our game be at like eight or nine? I would I would go for that. Other than well, I so. can't stay up that late. Uh, well, I know. I might so, have to take a nap. At yeah. Time. So I'll probably have to like what I'm gonna have to do is bring in some earbuds and when the game's not being played during TV timeouts, start playing. Are you gonna playing. be that weird guy with your hands in your ears saying? No, I, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring earbuds so that I don't hear other people talk about the game. I'm probably gonna have to go home and watch the the fourth quarter of, of the Alabama LSU game when I get back home after our game. You That's realize your wife listening. is embarrassed to be seen with you, right? Yeah, and I mean this with all due respect to her. That's her problem. She chose. She chose this life. Like she knew. Okay. She knew what she was getting okay. into. She's a wonderful, amazing woman who allows me to be a crazy, a certifiably crazy person. But like, I am what I am. I've, I'm. Did we not will try to wish anybody. her the best of luck. Yes, absolutely. But anyway, um, man, this is a tough. Life. Okay, first off. I'm going to answer the question because I, I, I want to answer Justin's question here, but it kind of freaks me out. I don't want to talk about it because I think I'm going to jinx us. I really do. Like, I, I'm a super ridiculous superstitious guy. So Nutcase. Yes, nutcase. Yeah, you can go. That, that's that's a good way to describe it. Um, but I'm going to answer the question even though, like, it hurts my heart a little bit. A little piece of me is going to die by answering this question because I'm still freaking out that we're going to, like, have a letdown situation and not get in the title game. So, but anyway, let's say if we get there, God willing, if we get there, I think I would rather play LSU. I think there's more matchups that favor us in that game. Although I do think there's some matchups that favors is Alabama as well. I think right now, actually, Alabama is having a lot of trouble. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of trouble. They're having more trouble than they usually do stopping the run. And what do we do? Oh, that's right. We like to run the football. LSU's been better throughout the year stopping the run that Alabama has. Alabama's got those two true freshman inside linebackers I think we can have a lot of success against. They're good on the defensive line, but I really like our offensive line. So I do like that matchup. And LSU, like they're statistically a little bit more productive offensively than Bama. They're averaging 535 yards a game versus 505 yards for Bama. But when I watch both these teams play, and I've watched both these teams play a lot, guys, I think Bama has more weapons to stop. That's what it comes down to for me. I think they have more weapons to stop, and I think Tua Tagovailoa, if he's healthy, is still a better quarterback than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's had a heck of a year. He's a really good quarterback, and he's really benefiting from playing in that offense this year. But I still think Tua is the better quarterback. And elite quarterback play is what what wins you football games a lot of times when you run those spread offenses. And I'd also say this. I'd rather face Coach O. He's a good coach. Coach O is really, really impressed with what he's done at LSU. I, I didn't necessarily believe that he had it in him, but he he's absolutely proved me wrong there. But i still rather face him and his staff than Nick Saban at Alabama staff. It's tough, though. There's things I like about playing both of those teams, but I think if I had to pick right now, I'd probably go LSU more weapons to uh, in the saving effect. So, yeah. But, uh, Charlie, any other questions? That's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the show here today. We really appreciate each and every one of you and all of your support. So, for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later this week. And as always, go dogs.